0: What's going on, everyone, and welcome back to the Ryan Schlesinger Podcast. This is episode 10. I am your host, Ryan Schlesinger, and today, unlike yesterday's podcast, today will be a very happy podcast because I am in a good mood. I'm currently at my hotel in Orlando, and the Marlins, they just won earlier today, and I'm very happy about it. It's a big win for the Fish as they take the series' win in Pittsburgh in the rubber match. And now they have a four-game series coming up against the Cincinnati Reds before they will end up coming home to play the Mets before they face the Cubs. And should be good for the Marlins. A pretty good future ahead of them. Pretty good schedule. You see, you get to face now the Reds, who if you sweep them, this is a much needed sweep for the Marlins. I'll take three out of four, but I'd love a sweep. If you sweep the Reds, then you're in a great position. you are just one game below 500. So they have an opportunity here. They're currently forty five and 50 coming off of this win against the Pittsburgh Pirates. The bats finally wake up, a big headline to talk about. They win six to five in 10 innings. Anthony Bass gets credit for the win despite blowing a save opportunity in the ninth when the Pirates were able to tie it. And then Bednar gets credit for the loss for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And Jeff Brigham gets credit for the save, his second save of his career. First game he's pitched in in 2022 ends up being a save, his second big league save. And Brigham definitely looked good. You like to see Brigham there. Finally getting some action here back in the big leagues. He hasn't pitched a whole lot. Recently in the bigs, he was injured for about 18 months with a big injury. Let's take a look at Brigham's career history in the majors. 2018 made his debut with the Marlins, ended up pitching in four games. All those were starts, and he had a 6.06 ERA across those 16 innings. And then you see 2019, he was transferred from a starter to a reliever, pitched in 32 games. All of those relief appearances rather than starts, and he allowed, he had a 4.46 ERA, so he was able to play a little bit of a role with 2019 Marlins pitching in 32 games. And then 2020, he pitches in just one game and one inning, allowing two hits, one earned run in that one game that he pitched in, and now he's back, so his first big league appearance since 2020 missed All of 2022, let's see if he can, 2021, my apologies. Let's see if he can earn himself a roster spot and make a comeback. Brigham is currently 30 years old. Now, before we go into a full game recap, I wanted to mention all the transactions that the Miami Marlins made before this game. So here it is, the official moves Infielder Brian Anderson placed on the 10-day injured list with a left shoulder sprain. Right-handed pitcher Max Meyer placed on the 15-day injured list with a right elbow sprain. Right-handed pitcher Tommy Nance placed on the 15-day injured list with a right groin sprain. And then you have infielder Williams Astudio Right-handed pitcher Huskar Brazbazin. Brazoban, my bad. I had a little bit of trouble pronouncing that name simply because I had actually never heard of the guy, surprisingly, before he got called up earlier this morning. And, of course, right-handed pitcher Jeff Brigham, who got the save today in his first game of the season, in his first game since 2020. And then to make room for those guys since none of them are actually from the 40-man roster. They put right-handed pitcher Anthony Bender, infielder Jazz Chisholm Jr., and right-handed pitcher Cody Poteet onto the 60-day injured list. Um, Poteet and Bender were both on the 15-day, and Jazz was on the 10-day, but we recently found out that he would be out for another six weeks, so it makes sense to put him on the 60-day. And a lot of people were frustrated with the Marlins moves here because, well, I see this one guy here on Twitter saying, Lewin Diaz, Gerard Encarnacion, and Charles LeBlanc. What, one of those guys they think should be brought up rather than Williams Astudio. And they also want Sanchez and De La Cruz to be sent down to Triple A. Personally, I think the Marlins don't need to do that. I do think Charles LeBlanc does need to be called up, though. I think he is the better player than William Astupio, despite Astupio having the major league experience. I don't know if the Marlins think this is going to be a shorter thing with Anderson going to the I.L. could only be just a little 10-day thing, and will actually be a 10-day I.L. for st- 10 days. But I guess we'll see. If we take a look at Charles LeBlanc's stats, this season with the jumbo shrimp, he's batting 299 with 14 home runs as well. So he's got some pop on that infield position and OBP of 376, OPS of 878. He has great numbers in A, and he's 26. He will be eligible to be in the Rule 5 draft if the Marlins don't end up. putting him on the active roster at some point in the season. Hopefully Charles LeBlanc can get a chance. I really think he just becomes a September call-up. I think what the Marlins are doing here is maybe they see something that they can still help Charles LeBlanc work on, or maybe something that, you know, part of his game that may not work in the majors despite it working in AAA or it may not work as well. But I'm not really sure what's going on with LeBlanc not getting called up. So more stuff to talk about as we now cover those transactions because this was a pretty action-packed day. I also wanted to quickly mention with these three guys getting called up, William Dio, Husker Brazoban, and Jeff Brigham, that actually makes the Marlins' average age on their active roster older, despite calling up three guys from the minors, because... Astudio is somewhat old, Brazobon's somewhat old and Brigham is somewhat old. You take a look at William's Astudio, his age is 30. Then you got Jeff Brigham whose age is 30 and then Brazobon who is also over 30. Pretty surprising to see that happen because that's pretty much a rarity. Because usually if you hear, you know, some guys are getting selected from the minors, you'd think, oh, yeah, this makes the team younger. But no, it makes the team older. A lot of people were frustrated about this. But, hey, I mean, that's how it happened. It went pretty well. I mean, Brazo Bond pitched a scoreless inning in his first Major League inning. Got his first Major League strikeout. J.J. Bleday, he made his Major League debut yesterday. Also yesterday's podcast was kind of a mess because I ha- I hadn't recorded a podcast in a week. I wasn't really prepared. I had a week to cover of Marlins baseball and I didn't really get to go into too much depth of that JJ Blade call up and but yeah, he made his major league debut yesterday. He was a replacement. He got one plate appearance. He walked in the ninth inning. And he showed some really good plate discipline there. And today, he has two hits. His first major league hit is an infield single. It was a ball chopped on the ground to O'Neill Cruz. It would have taken a very tough play. Blade was able to show his speed on that play for his first big league hit today. Because if that's some guys, he could have been out. But center fielder Blade, he has pretty good speed. He's not like a incredibly speedy guy, but definitely above average speed, I would say. And he showed it off right there. He then proceeded to s- steal a base, showing off his speed even more. I think nobody really talks about Blade A's speed because of how much of a power hitter he is. But he's a rare version of a power-speed combination, which you don't get too much in today's game. Usually, with the guys who bat for the most power... They are the bigger guys, the guys who aren't as fast. But to see someone who plays outfield and is a power-speed combination is just really nice to have for the Marlins. Because, again, like your power hitter, Jorge Soler, who's injured, and JJ Blede is the guy who's replacing him. He's not fast. He's very average speed, maybe a little bit below average speed. And he's probably their best power hitter if you did a home run derby. I think Jorge Soler would win if you had – I don't know, the top 10 guys, top 8 guys who would be in contention to win. Speaking of that, I want to actually, was not going to say this or do this during the podcast as a segment, but I want to think about who my Home Run Derby guys would be for anyone in the Marlins organization. If I had to pick 8 guys just like the real Home Run Derby. First, I'd go with Jazz. I feel like Jazz is a guy who everyone would want to see in the Home Run Derby because of how exciting. Then, obviously, Jorge Soler. Then, J.J. Blade, who was one of the best power hitters in AAA this season. And so there's three you got already over there. I think that, you know, the models don't have a lot of power hitters, but I think Jesus Sanchez, who's displayed a lot of pop, could be in it. He just strikes out too much. He's very inconsistent, but he does have double-digit homers this season. And when he gets a hold of the ball, again, it goes very far. He's hit he hit. The farthest home run of the season, 496 feet at Coors Field. I remember watching that at my friend's house. That was a really exciting blast from Jesus Sanchez. So I'd like to see those four. Then I guess Avi Garcia could be in it. I don't really know if he got, like, weaker or something, but he's just not hitting home runs this season. He nearly hit 30 last season. He hit 29. I was talking about that on yesterday's podcast for a little bit. But I still think he could be a good competitor in that. So there's five Then you're six. I think you take Jesus Aguilar. Not as much of a power hitter again this year, but he's shown a lot of power throughout his career, especially when he was with Milwaukee. So I think he could be good in a home run derby. If you take a look at Jesus Aguilar's career number season by season. 2018, he was a 35 homer guy. 2021, he hit 22 homers. He had 16 in 2017. So he's Really had on-and-off years. He also hit eight in that 60-game season in 2020, which is not too bad at all, especially because he only played 51 of those 60. I'm not sure. I don't believe he had COVID during that year. I think he was one of the guys who actually did not get COVID during that outbreak. I know Miggy Rowe did. I don't even remember most of the guys who did. I do, It feels like that was so long ago because it was. It was, over, it was pretty much, I think, all that happened now pretty much exactly two years ago. So, I don't know exactly when that happened, but I remember baseball starting back up in July, and, like, after that Philly series, the Marlins got COVID, meaning that, I believe... Let me actually search that up. What was the date of the 2020 MLB opening day? It was... Oh, no, they're giving me the original date, which was March 26th. COVID. Is it not going to show me? I really want to find this out. and It's not showing me. Let me check something real quickly. Because it had to be sometime around now. Today is July 25th. So if we take a look at this... Okay, so the Marlins played a – okay, here's the timeline. So the Marlins played a preseason, I guess you would call, exhibition game at Truist Park against the Braves where they lost 9-10 to on a walk-off homer by the Braves, which was the most anticlimactic walk-off homer of all time simply because it beats out all the spring training walk-off homers because there's literally no fans – and it's just a poof. It's kind of a funny call from the Braves broadcaster. I remember hearing that. He's like, "Swinging and a drive, deep right field into the shop house. That's going to end it. And that's, I feel like that's all that he said. He did not say it in the most, like, excited tone. Okay, so, yeah, they played two exhibition games against the Braves at Truist. They won, they won one and they lost another one of them. And then... Thursday, July 23rd, so two days ago, two years ago, was the opening day for baseball. The Marlins didn't play this day. I remember it was only two games. They had Yankees-Nationals, which was only a six-inning game due to rain. They ended it. The Yankees were up 4-1. to one. They decided to call it. And that was the opening day game where uh, I remember Manfred was getting interviewed, and Rob Manfred, like, the lightning struck right behind him, which was pretty funny. I was laughing at that with my friends, also Dr. Fauci throughout the first pitch. I don't know how I remember all this COVID stuff, but yeah, I do. And then you got the Giants and the Dodgers playing the late-night game. I don't really remember that game too well, other than I believe Dustin May was starting that game for the Dodgers. That was really the first time I actually found out that Dustin May existed. Yeah, he pitched four innings and a third in that game, allowing one earned run. So, yeah, that's where it was. And then you have Friday, July 24th, the Marlins won their opening day game 5-2 with Sandy on the mound in Philly. Then Saturday, they lost to the Phillies 7-1. And Then Sunday, they beat the Phillies 11-6. The offense exploded. I just really quickly want to check what the Marlins lineup was. I am really getting nostalgic in this Marlins podcast, but the Marlins lineup in that game was Jonathan VR, John Birdie, a rare occurrence of a current Marlin, Corey Dickerson, Jesus Aguilar, Brian Anderson, Francisco Cervelli, one of my favorites from that season, Isan Diaz, Miguel Rojas, and then Sierra. Keep in mind, this was before the COVID outbreak. Then that was the last game, I believe, before the COVID outbreak, and then I don't really know where they got it from. If they got it from Philly, I don't even remember. But then the game on Monday got postponed. That was July 27th. So in two days from now, I'm currently recording this on Monday, July 25th. It's just past midnight. But in two days from now, it will be the anniversary of the Marlins' COVID outbreak. So before I just end this segment, for some reason, I don't even know how. I started talking about this, talking about the Marlins' whole outbreak and everything. We can see here, if I skip a few days, the Marlins played. When was the, because they, they missed a lot of baseball after that. Okay, so the, the next time the Marlins played was August 4th, a game against the Orioles when they won 4 to nothing. So let's take a look at the Marlins lineup for that game. You see, it was VR, birdie. Aguilar, Dickerson, Anderson, Logan Forsyth. That's a throwback. Matt Joyce also pinch hit for him. Francisco Cervelli, Lewis Brinson, and Monte Harrison. Pretty interesting. I actually forgot like just what the team was like. I mean, if you look at all the pictures, you see Pablo Lopez did not get COVID. James Hoyt pitched in that game. Richard Blyer pitched in that game. I believe that was his first game as a Marlin. Brad Boxberger pitched in that game, and Kinsler pitched in that game. That's a classic name, Brandon Kinsler. Someone that if you you've been a Marlins fan since twenty twenty, you know he was a great closer in twenty twenty. Where even is he now? He's not pitched in twenty twenty two, and I believe he is retired. Or just still a free agent, but yeah, 2020 he had a 2.22 ERA, and then he fell off with the Phillies in 2021, really. But he actually is pretty old, so it wouldn't it would not surprise me if he's retired. Haven't heard anything about him in a long time. He was actually a 40th round pick, but quite a good career for someone who was drafted, uh, 1,000th and. 182nd overall, a 3.50 ERA. Now that we're done with this unexpected COVID segment, I'm just going to go back to talking about who I would want in my home run derby. I think the last three guys I would take, because, yeah, I've I've taken six guys. The last two that I would want, Would be probably Lewin Diaz. He showed so much power in Triple A. And then after Lewin, definitely Gerard and Carnacion. The fact that three of the guys who I'd want in my Marlins home run derby are in Triple A is honestly pretty sad because the Marlins have so much talent in Triple A. Like, their top three AAA players right now, if you count J.J. Bleday, because he's only played in two major league games, their top three AAA players, in my opinion, might be better than their top three major league players who are currently active, not injured. Because you have Jorge Soler injured, you have Jazz Chisholm injured, you have Brian Anderson injured, you have so many injured guys. Birdie's also injured injured. And I can't really think of any guys who are even better, in my opinion, than these AAA guys. I mean, Aguilar isn't putting up a great season, but compared to Bleday and Lewin and Gerard, his stats are just nowhere near that. I mean, they have three guys who are putting up way better stats in AAA to, to the fact that if you even convert what those could be in the majors, it would probably be better than any players on the Marlins besides Jazz, really. <sighs> Let's also talk about how JJ Bleday had another hit besides that infield single that I was talking about earlier, where he was able to beat out O'Neill Cruz's throw. He had a double, and then he was later driven in by Avi Garcia. No, not Avi Garcia, who driven him in. It was De La Cruz who driven him in, actually. Yet, yeah, he had a. De La Cruz hit an RBI single, and then Bledet scored from second after his double into the right center field gap. So Bledet off to a really good start in the majors with a 500 batting average now. Really nice to see that from J.J. Blade. He's now reached base in three occurrences in just five plate appearances, I believe great job by play what did I just mess up on its name great job by JJ blue day I guess when I say great job by blue day saying the Bible day messes up my tongue something funny to think about now I know I guess also wanted to mention how Nick Fortes had a big hit in the 10th inning that really helped the Marlins Rally, that was their first run of extras in extras, gave them some run support. They ended up scoring two runs in the 10th inning, a really big one there for the Marlins in extras. Something that they have not been able to do this season is be clutch, but they were able to be clutch in this one. The really the summary. For the top of the 10th was Nick Fortes singling on a fly ball to the right fielder, Cal Mitchell. And Cal Mitchell kind of made a fielding error, I'll tell you just all about it. So Fortes singled on the fly ball to Cal Mitchell. Then Luke Williams scored on it. He would have scored anyway since he was the place runner at second. And then Nick Fortes got to second because Cal Mitchell had a fielding error. He kind of couldn't pick it up cleanly in right, which arguably was the only reason why Fortes was able to get to second, and that's how they ruled it. Then Rojas singled on a fly ball to Ben Gamble, and Fortes was able to score thanks to that error that moved him up to second. You would not have scored, obviously, from first. Also need to talk about Brian De La Cruz with his big game. He was the guy, as I just mentioned before, he singled on the sharp ground ball to the left fielder Ben Ben Gamble in the top of the ninth. To put the Marlins up four to two before the Pirates would eventually tie it at four to four off a Yoshi Tsugo single to Brian De La Cruz in left field on the line drive, scoring Greg Allen and Cal Mitchell. Then you need to talk about De La Cruz before that big single to tie up the game, which really saved the Marlins, because if he does not hit that single, again, that's the walk-off from Jutsugo instead of the tire, and then the Marlins secure it in extras. But, Delilah Cruz hit this big home run on a fly ball to deep left field in the top of the fifth inning. Mitch Keller just gave him a little hanging slider right down the middle of the plate. And De La Cruz was all over the pitch. It was just 80 miles per hour. And De La Cruz with his seventh home run of the year. And he was a big contact hitter guy last year. He had a really good batting average. This year, though, he's been hitting for definitely a lot more power. Seven home runs. Last year, in his stint with the Marlins, he played in 58 games. He only hit... So I can see, he only hit five homers. Well, actually, I guess you could say, now that I think about it, I thought it was less, but five home runs compared to seven in more games this year. So my bad, I take back what I said before. De La Cruz is still pretty much the same player power-wise. but He's going to give you some big home runs. I think most of the home runs he's hit this season have been very important to help the Marlins win the game. think that's going to do it here on this episode of the Ryan Schlesinger podcast. Thanks for listening to episode number 10. Before I go real quickly, the road ahead for the Marlins tomorrow, the Marlins, or I guess I should say today because I'm recording this after midnight, but tomorrow slash today, it will be the Marlins and the Reds at great American ballpark in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's Trevor Rogers, facing off against a pitcher I don't believe the Marlins have seen before in Nick Lodolo, just a 24-year-old. And should be a good matchup. Two pitchers that are young and struggling. Both have an ERA in the fives. Could be an opportunity for both of them to get a bounce-back start and prove To the team that they deserve to be in the majors. Especially with Rodgers just having an overall terrible season. Compared to last year when he was a two-time rookie of the month. And runner-up for rookie of the year. But also a chance for both of these offenses who aren't great overall. To hit off some weaker pitchers. On Tuesday, it'll be game two of the four-game series. Hunter Green against Pablo Lopez. Lopez had a terrible start against the Rangers last time out, allowing five earned runs. But Hunter Green, very young pitcher. If he's on some other teams, he would have been sent down to keep developing. He's only 22, but the Reds just need guys to pitch. He's had a 5.78 ERA this season in 18 starts, 90 innings pitched, a 3-11 record with... 113 strikeouts, pretty much the only impressive stat is that he's struck out way way more guys than he's pitched innings-wise. So he strikes out one or two guys each inning. Very impressive stuff from Hunter Green. He has great stuff. He's going to be a great pitcher in the future. Then on Wednesday, it's Braxton Garrett coming out after his last start. He pitched great, allowing just one run of the Pittsburgh Pirates, leading them to an 8-1 win. He helped them a lot in that ball game. And the lefty Southpaw is two and three on the season, but he's seemed like he's been getting better every start. One of those types of guys. He improved his slider. He was actually on the Marlins broadcast showing them that how much his slider grip has changed. He threw it more like a cutter before, and he changed his grip with the seams, and it got a lot better. He has a great slider and he pitches to great he pitches to contact while pitching to some more strikeouts recently. Nice to see that from Braxton Garrett. And it will be Luis Castillo on the mound for the Reds. And he has a 2.77 ERA this season, despite having a losing record 3-4 just because of how bad the Reds have been as a team offensively this year, even worse than the Marlins. Castillo, has 2.77 ERA against Garrett with his 3.42 ERA, should be a good one. And then you have Thursday's matchup. It's a to-be-determined pitcher for the Marlins. And we don't really know this would be a spot for Max Meyer to go before Sandy should be going on Friday. But with Meyer hurt, and they have not brought up a starter yet... I believe that either Brazoban or Brigham will be sent down to replace, and they will replace either one of them with a starter. They just don't need a starter right now to replace Meyer. I'm expecting you could see Nick Neidert there. He's pitched really well for the Jumbo Shrimp with a ERA below 2.50 this season, and he has some major league experience. He, remember I remember... Him pitching last year a little bit at the beginning of the season before he got injured, did not return to the big leagues, and he hasn't been great at the major league level. But I think if you give, he definitely is worthy of another chance. Otherwise, you bring back up Castano, who never really pitched bad. I still like him. I think he has a lot of potential. He's not as good as Braxton Garrett, but he's still a pretty good pitcher. You also have some other options, and uh, I guess we'll just see what the Marlins can do with it. Edward Cabrera is on his way back. He, so is Jesus Lizardo. Lazardo has been pitching with the Jumbo Shrimp, and so has Cabrera. So they should be coming back soon. Not a, a lot of buzz around them just because they need to have a few rehab starts, and they've kind of just started their stints with the clubs. But they should be back in about two weeks or so. So very excited to see Lazardo and Cabrera. Two big pieces of the rotation, in my opinion. We don't really know what's going to happen, though, with the rotation because then you got a pretty interesting situation because it, it almost feels like you might have too much, guys. You know, Garrett's been way too good to send down, so it seems like you might have to send down Trevor Rogers Perhaps maybe t- do that and develop him. They're going to have to end up either trading him. I mean, he's still worth something considering how much potential he has, how good he was last year, Maybe. I don't know, guys just figuring him out, but if he can change his stuff up a little bit or just get back to his 2021 form, he could be a great pitcher and the Marlins could get a lot of value from him if he's just not working with the team and doesn't have a role with them. Then the Marlins play the Mets in a three-game series, coming back home. It's likely that I'll be attending one of those games. The first game is on Friday, July 29th. I believe that's the date or the day after, that I get back to South Florida from Orlando, as I'm just spending a few days days here in Orlando. very excited to see the Marlins playing at home again. I have not seen them play at Lone Depot Park in in a hot minute. I don't even know which game it was. That was the last game I went to. I've been to like six games this season, I believe. I went to two of them, two games. I did get to see the Marlins play twice, Thankfully, at City Field when I was in New York. Or Connecticut, but really close to New York. Very happy I got to see them. But I miss going to Lone Depot Park. I miss eating my ballpark sushi. I miss everything about it. I miss the LED lights. And I just miss interacting with the Marlins players. Cheering them on because, well, the Marlins, they need some fans like me. I'm also just very excited to mention before I go now that... I'm going to be starting to cover some football, hockey, and basketball once that gets back into the season. I didn't get to talk about it yet on my podcast yesterday, but the Panthers traded Jonathan Huberto to the Flames. Unfortunately, goodbye to Jonathan Huberto, a longtime Florida Panther. He's been a Panther for pretty much a decade, his whole career. And really going to miss him – Probably our second-best player b- behind Barkov. But they did get some value in return. They also traded Mackenzie Weger And I'm not very good with hockey names. I'm still somewhat new to the sport. I really started watching only this year. Started watching the Panthers. And I don't really know much about the rest of hockey. Gonna learn this year. Gonna watch every Panthers game. Or at least try to follow every Panthers game, kind of like how I do with the Marlins. And I've noticed that hockey games are hockey names are pretty hard to pronounce. And the pronunciation for this guy's name, it took me a little while to pronounce Giroux's name when I first saw that the the Panthers traded, or they tr- they traded for him with the Flyers. And I finally got it down, and I thought it was, like, Jerox or whatever when he first came. Then I heard him being pronounced on a game, and I remember his name pretty well. But this guy's name from the Calgary Flings, fling, he's a left wing. He's a, he shoots lefty. He's from Arizona, and he's still very young, 24 years old. Matthew... <laughs> I don't. I really don't want to butcher this guy's name, but Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, Matthew Kachuk. Okay, I got it down now. Matthew Kachuk. I had to make sure I pronounced it right on the hockey reference. But yeah, very good player, Matthew Kachuk. Very excited to have him. He, in his career, has scored 382 points. He had a breakout year in 2021 through 2022 season with 104 points. One of the best players they could have gotten from the Flames. He was also... An all-star this year for the first time in his career. They get a young, some young talent. They also got a pick, I believe, from that. Goodbye to Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weger. Hopefully they have some good luck in Calgary with the Flames. As Mackenzie Weger returning to his home country of Canada... Now that's going to do it officially. Thanks for listening. Excited for football season. Excited to see how the season plays out for the Marlins, calling up some prospects. They're very banged up right now. I'm Ryan Schlesinger, signing out. I'll see you on episode 11.